Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, for the beauty of your creation, for the beauty of this gathering, Lord God, that you have brought us in peace to be here together to worship you with singleness of heart and mind. We pray, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to us today, that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh upon us, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord God, in that the hope of your gospel would penetrate into the depths of darkness in our lives, Lord, that you would set us free and deliver us from the bondage of sin and death, Lord, that you would restore us to your kingdom. We pray, Lord God, that you would give me your words to speak to your people and give us all your word to proclaim your goodness in this world and the hope that is ours in you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. I brought with me one of my favorite props. It's a cookie. Right? And the good thing about having a cookie as a prop is if everything goes wrong, I can just eat the thing, right? At least I'll end up with a cookie. The sermon might have been terrible, but I got a cookie out of it, right? So the world can't be that bad if that's the case. Now, cookies. There were a number of fights in my household over cookies when I was growing up. And usually the fight was because there was one cookie left. Right? Did this ever happen in your household? One cookie left. And there were me and my brother, the two of us, and one cookie left. And so how did we decide who got the cookie? A battle of strength, that's right, because I was the biggest brother. That is the fair way to do it. The strong get the cookie, the weak have to wait for the next cookie, if they're lucky. No, that's not how we decided it. How? How would we divide the cookie? Because my mom made us divide it. One breaks, the other picks, right? How come the person who breaks doesn't get to pick? Because human nature would tell us that if you were doing that, you would break off the corner for your brother and give that to him, and then you would take the lion's share, right? That's how it is. Unfortunately, that is not fair. Yes, so one would break, the other, or one would divide, and the other would pick. Needless to say, if you are the divider, do you want to be precise in the division? Yes. Yeah, I would get out like a ruler. I'd try and determine the center of the object and like do a a ray out of that to make sure I was cutting it right down the middle. I mean, I'd get a real sharp knife. So I would, on a molecular level, I wasn't going to lose out on the deal either way. You know, try and count the chocolate chips in it. If it was a chocolate chip to make sure like my brother didn't get all like three chips and I get two or something like that. All right. You know, you got to be precise when it's down to a cookie. It's down to a cookie. You know, and something like the division of cookies was going on in the church in Corinth, or had been going on historically. Uh, Corinth, of course, was a very wealthy city that was on the shortest overland path between the Aegean and the Adriatic Seas. And so instead of going by boat all around the country, they could um, unload on one side and kind of march it through Corinth and then drop it off on another boat at the other end and then a boat would take it from there. Right, It saved a lot of time, a lot of hassle. And so Corinth did very well in this, even though it wasn't a port city, even though it was several miles from the coast. It, had, it felt like a port city because it, it got all the wealth of trade going through it. 
Because of this, it was known for its uh, artistry and bronze, but also um, one of the things that comes with being a port city is that it was as known as well for its wanton sexuality. Right? Not wanton sexuality. That would be weird. <laughs> it's almost what came out of my mouth right there. I don't even know what that means. Now, uh, in the church in Corinth, there had as well been a fairness problem. A fairness problem. Particularly, there had been a stratification between the rich and the poor uh, in the church. And so the wealthy had been leaving out the poor by eating their field. We had, they, had, they had these things called love feasts, these agape meals where they would come together and they would break bread together. It was kind of like communion, but it seemed like there were more dishes. And, uh, and so the rich would eat their fill, get everything that they needed, and in addition, get drunk. And what did that leave for the poor? Nothing, just the crumbs, right? Just the leftovers. Now, is this how church is supposed to be? No. On two levels, right? Should you be getting drunk? No. Right, I'll answer that for you. And then the 7.30 was a little slow with their response, so I want to just clear the air here. Yes, and then the second piece is definitely there should not be uh, any type of hierarchy where some get more than others. That's not how it's supposed to work in the church. And so Paul addressed this in his first letter to the Corinthians. And to their credit, it seems like they really worked on it because he doesn't mention it again in Second Corinthians. But here, Paul is challenging them to expand their horizons and consider how they live, not only in light of their brothers and sisters in the church in Corinth, but also in light of their brothers and sisters all around the world. You see, Paul had been in Macedonia previously, and he had seen how generously the Christians there were giving to support the Christians in Jerusalem. Those Macedonian Christians, well, let me give you Paul's words. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches in Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's not exactly the progression you expect for that sentence, is it? Right? Their, their severe ordeal of affliction, and then you hear next, abundant joy, but then extreme poverty and the result is a wealth of generosity on their part? That just seems radical and amazing. And he continues, for as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry. That is a phenomenal description of what God was doing in the life of the Macedonian Christians. They were begging to give. Even though they were poor and under tremendous hardship, all they wanted to do was to participate by giving, by sharing the little they had with others. Now, these verses, this description of the Macedonian Christians, uh, isn't a Macedon like a dinosaur or something, too? Or the Mastodon, is that? Okay. And are they from Macedon? I don't know. Either way. 
Could be. Okay, so these verses about the Macedonian Christians immediately precede our passage for today. And in our passage, Paul challenges the church in Corinth to respond to the Spirit like the Macedonian Christians. Interestingly, though he could have, Paul does not command them to give in a certain way or according to a certain level. Instead, he challenges them to live out their faith by giving to those who are in need. He creates a case for doing this by looking at one life in particular. And that one life in particular that he looks at is the life of Jesus Christ. Paul says, He was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Let's talk about that for a second. So Jesus is there at the right hand of God. All authority and power is his. I mean, he's the creator of the universe, the author of life. He's got everything he could ever need. And what does he do? He comes down and is born in a manger. Comes down and is born in a manger, right? Lives a humble life here on earth. And as if things couldn't get any more humble, what does he do at the end of his life? Dies for us, right? Lays down everything. His future, his options, his potential, his retirement plan, everything, right? Lays it all down and goes to the cross for you and me. And the result of his death and resurrection is our salvation, right? So when he's saying so that by his poverty you might become rich, it's not talking about Powerball. Right? He is talking about our spiritual richness in receiving eternal life. All the blessings of the kingdom of God are ours through faith in Jesus Christ. This model then becomes the framework for the challenge, for Paul's challenge to the, to the Corinthian Christians. Right? Just uh, everything, uh, Paul likes to shape his argument around the gospel. And what a great thing to do. I think this is a useful exercise for all of us and all of our decisions to consider how it fits in line, how our decision fits in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is one of sacrifice, of humility, and of grace. And so Paul says, it is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. Paul is reminding them that they had begun to take up this work previously. Last year, they had started working on it. But like many things in life, they had kind of gotten distracted by other things. And had forgotten about that collection for the the Christians in Jerusalem. And so Paul is reminding them and asking them to continue in it. To continue in that work that God had put on their hearts and which they desired to do. Now, if people don't want to do it, Paul seems to be implying that they shouldn't, right? That's why he doesn't just lay the commandment on them, because that would mean it doesn't matter what you want to do, you should do this. That's not what Paul is saying. He says, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So if you can and you desire to give, then give. And the gift will be acceptable. Now, according to our passage, there's a really interesting caveat. And it seems to be implying that Paul doesn't want the Christians to put themselves into a huge hole by doing this. He says, I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you. 
But it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. The principle at work here seems to be a, a prudent generosity, one which is led and empowered by the Spirit to give generously, but not to give to such a degree that you need to turn around and say, can I have some back because now I'm broke? Right? And he reminds us, in light of this, of the gathering of manna in the book of Exodus. It says, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. You remember the people gathered, some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. When it came down to it, when they, when they were feeding themselves through the week, the one who gathered a lot, they had just the right amount. The one who had gathered what looked like too little had just the right amount as well. And Paul seems to be applying this then to the way we should treat our finances as well as Christians. Right? That, that those who have a lot should share with those who have a little. So that all may find peace and sustenance in this world. Now, the specific um, circumstances in this moment of life in our church today are not the same as when Paul wrote this letter, obviously, right? We're not living in a city called Corinth, right? And we are not listening necessarily to people in Macedon telling us something. But the general themes are the same, regardless of what time period you find yourself in. Because do we live in a world in which not everyone has the same resources or access to resources? Yeah, not everyone does, right? Not everyone does. Uh, it's maybe where you live, maybe you know the facilities you were born with, maybe the family you were born into, uh, education level. I mean, there's all so many different factors involved here. Uh, and are some comfortable financially and others not? Yeah, even in this church? Yeah, even in this church. The reality, though, is that even though some have more and some have less, all of us have been blessed with a certain degree of resources that God has entrusted to us. We call this idea stewardship. Right? You and I are stewards of what God has given us. One of the great resources we have is time. We all have the same amount of time. Every day has 24 hours, regardless of whether we're rich or whether we're poor. Now, the amount of time we have in our life, that, that's in the Lord's hands. But one of the things we're supposed to be stewards of is that time that God has given us. Do we invest it wisely and faithfully according to the principles of the gospel? And financially, the resources God has entrusted to us, what do we do with them? How are we, how are we stewards of them? Are we using those for ourselves and our own enrichment and blessing? Or are we using those for the blessing of others? The poor yet generous Macedonians chose to give out of their poverty, to share, because others were in greater need than themselves. The challenge to the Corinthians was how would they respond? How would they respond? Would they be possessed by their possessions, or would they be freed up in the joy of the gospel to give just as they had been had freely received from God? Giving's a challenge, right? Giving is a challenge because the world tells us that the secret of life is getting as much of the cookie as possible. If I could get this whole cookie, that's the best case scenario, right? And I agree with that. And there's, there's something in me that absolutely agrees with that, right? If I had my choice, I would sneak in the cookie jar before my brother 
was around and eat the cookie. Because I knew that if I brought it out when he was in the room, I'd have to share the thing. Right? But my heart said, get the cookie for yourself. And the world tells me that. And the world tells me it's even better if you get multiple cookies for yourself. Right? You don't need just one, do you? No, you need a whole box. You need a whole sleeve of these things. And you need as many cookies as you can get. And even better is to have a bigger cookie. Right? Not a little cookie, but a bigger cookie. Yeah. Bigger cookie. And my expanding waistline tells me that I listen to this advice. As flawed as it might be. But God tells us that it's not the size of the cookie or how much of the cookie I get that matters. But who the cookie belongs to and what I do with it. That's what matters. So the challenge we face as Christians is who's right? Who's right? Is the world right? No. Or is God right? God's right. Part of me agrees with the world, right? I want the cookie. But the challenge is, God says, you will never find satisfaction in that thing if you use it for yourself. And I found that to be true in my life. Not only with cookies. You and I, we're about to approach the table of God. Where we will take bread and break bread and share it. And we believe that that is Jesus Christ's body sacrificed for us. Do we ever run out? Do we ever run out of the body of Christ? Never. Is there a certain number of church services that can be done where we break, take bread and break it, and then it's all, that's it, no more Jesus' body to share? No. The most remarkable thing is, is that when we take and break and share, God multiplies. And we are all blessed in the process. How can we hear the testimony of the Macedonian Christians and be challenged to break free of our bondage, our bondage to the views of this world, which keep us locked in with our money and resources, and keep us full of anxiety and fear that there's just not enough? May we give freely, turning it over to our God and trusting that he will do great and miraculous things with what we return to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of abundance, a God of provision, a God who, even though you are rich, yet for our sakes you became poor, so that by your poverty we might become rich. Help us, Lord God, to see the riches you have entrusted to us. Lord, we are called to be stewards, and like any steward, there will be a day when we have to settle our accounts with you. Lord, you know how we are investing what you've entrusted to us. Help us, Lord, to be wise, to be humble. Lord, to confess that it is not our stuff, but that it belongs to you, and to use it for your kingdom. Lord God, bring it up in us the desire of the Macedonians that we might beg earnestly for the privilege of sharing in these ministries that you call us to. Help us to be generous and kind. And may it not be something that we force upon ourselves, but may it be a natural outpouring of the grace that you have given us. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name.
Amen.